you and I, as we're suffering sometimes, we kind of get zoomed in on just that aspect of suffering. We really struggle with the bigger picture. We struggle with the context. You know what I mean? Maybe this phrase will help you out a little bit. Suffering out of context is unbearable. Suffering out of context, when we're not looking at the big picture, when we don't know what God's up to, when we can't see what's going on behind the scenes, is so unbearable. And you and I sometimes get focused in on one little aspect of of our life, and it's this area of suffering, and it's like we can't see all the other things God's up to and all the things kind of going on behind the curtain, so to speak, and we're just focused on, wow, my pain, my pain. Uh, You guys know I love manly fires, so a few weeks ago, I'm reaching for a piece of firewood to start my fire, and a little piece of the wood went underneath my nail. Now, I've had it happen where it's like a big chunk goes under the nail, and it's like blood, and I practically pass out that whole deal. But this wasn't that. I just got to be honest with you. This was a tiny, tiny little piece of the wood. And it was so small, I could hardly see it, but I felt it. And I, all I could do was look at this thing and be like, ah, this is killing me right now. I need to get this out. In that moment, you don't focus on context. You know what I mean? Like in that moment, all you do is you focus on the suffering and the pain. You're not thinking to yourself, well, let me put this in context. You know, this does hurt, but there are people in way worse situations than me. There are people suffering all around the world. You don't do that. You just focus on the pain in your finger at the moment. And you know what? That's exactly what some of us are doing here tonight. We're not looking at the context of our suffering. We're just looking at our suffering. We're not looking at the bigger picture of what we're going through and maybe even what God's up to. We're just looking at the pain that we feel. And guys, I want to just encourage you for a second. That's sort of the natural thing to do. Sort of the human thing to do is when we suffer to kind of get stuck on it, okay? So I don't want to beat you up here tonight if that's what you're doing. I want to encourage you tonight and give you great hope and challenge you to zoom out a little bit. To not just look at your suffering, but zoom out. See the big picture and maybe just what God is up to. You see, several of us are, are zoomed in on different areas of suffering in our lives right now. Some of us are zoomed in on a broken heart. Our heart's been ripped out, maybe by a spouse, an ex-spouse, maybe by a child or a parent. All we want to do is sit and talk the, the, the problem through and find a solution, and they won't sit and talk. They're unwilling. Maybe some of us have hard, had our heart ripped out by an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, like we didn't even see it coming. All they did was send a text, and it was just over. End of story. Some of us are zoomed in on that, and we're not looking at context. We're not looking at, well, what's God up to in all this? We're just looking at sort of that splinter under our fingernail, not realizing there's a bigger picture. Some of us are zoomed in on some pain that we're feeling physically, and this is like really easy to do. You know, like, I mean, when your body is screaming at you, it's hard to focus on much else, and so some of us are, are there. Some of us are focused only on our financial struggle right now. It's like, man, all I can do is I wake up and I'm thinking about the financial trouble. I go to sleep, I'm laying awake, looking at the ceiling, thinking about my financial trouble. And we're zoomed in again on that suffering. As long as we're looking at just that, we're not looking at the context, the bigger picture, we're not zooming out, then we're going to live hopelessly. Some of us might even be suffering when it comes to some persecution in our life. And obviously, let me just say this before I even continue down this road for a second, any persecution we suffer here and now in America is like nothing compared to what's going on around the world. 
But here in our country, it's happening more and more. I know from talking with some of you guys, some of you would say, you know, just being at school, just being at work, just going home tonight, I'm going to get made fun of. I'm going to get made fun of this week because I was at church. I'm going to get made fun of because I don't go there with them and do that thing that they all do. And some of us, it's cost us some relationships. I know for me, like, you know, I haven't really paid this huge price, but you know, I think some maybe friendships have suffered because I followed Jesus and, and even just potential friendships, you know, like maybe you just don't get the invites. Maybe you're kind of not part of that crowd anymore. I know from my wife and I, whenever we're at the ballpark at, at one of our kids' games, as you get to know parents over the course of a season, eventually the questions come up. What do you do? And of course, you know, we kind of smirk at each other and go, here we go. All right, well, I'm a pastor. And of course, Half the time, the people are really cool. Oh, it's so cool. That's amazing. Wow, that's awesome. And, and then literally, we've had people that have looked the other way and not spoken to us the rest of the season because of who we are and what we do. And so maybe that's a little bit of what you're feeling. And, and you know what? It's really difficult to suffer for being a follower of Jesus because it's like, God, I'm doing this for you. Why are you allowing this outcome to happen? So I don't know if you're, you're zoomed in on physical pain or financial stress or a broken heart, or a little bit of persecution you might be going through, or something completely else. But I do know that suffering out of context is unbearable. But I also know this, and this is the hope tonight, that suffering in context changes everything. That when we zoom in, we're in trouble. When we zoom out and we look at the big picture, it changes everything for us. Suffering in context brings hope. When you and I realize, wait, God's up to something in the midst of my suffering. And there's a bigger story than just my suffering. Suffering in context helps us understand it's not pointless. Suffering in context helps us endure. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend tonight and next week looking at what Paul has to say about suffering. And tonight, we're going to get sort of the long-term answer of what to do with our suffering. And next week, Paul's going to give us two practical here and now things that we can grab a hold of in the midst of our suffering and our pain. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then this whole issue of suffering is a big deal for you too, isn't it? In fact, they say that as they kind of do polls and stuff and say, hey, why wouldn't you put your trust in Jesus and what would keep you from God? They say that pain and suffering is the number one thing that keeps people from being able to put their trust in God. So it's a huge barrier for people's relationship with God, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. And so we're going to look tonight and see what Paul has to say about this. And we've been looking at Romans chapter 8. We've seen that Romans 8 is the best chapter ever, in my humble opinion. And uh, if you guys have been memorizing along with us, I hope you keep going, be encouraged. Somebody just this past week was like, man, I've been doing terrible with this, but they wrote it all out, and they're ready to get going, and they're all excited about it. So even if you're like, you know what, I haven't memorized the verse yet, that's okay. Jump on this, get on this, it's snowing out. You can just lay home tomorrow and do what you gotta do. Just memorize Romans 8 tomorrow, you'll be good. But this week, We're working on verses 17b through 25, and those are the verses we're going to be looking at tonight. So Romans 8, Paul said this to the Romans in verse 17. Now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. Now we looked at that verse last week, right? We looked at the beginning of this verse, verse 17. And what Paul was trying to get across to us is that we belong to God, that we are children of God, and that God is a good father. And he wants to share What's his with us? But then the verse goes on, okay? It says, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. But then it says this, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Well, what does this mean? 
Okay, it sounded great. Last week was awesome, man. I found out, like, I'm a child of God. He loves me. He wants me. He wants to adopt me and take care of me and make me his own. And everything that's his is mine. But then we kind of turn the corner here. It says, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may share also in his glory. What does it mean to share in God's suffering? And what does it mean to share in God's glory? Because that's the long-term hope that we're going to cling to as we look at these verses here tonight. So what does it mean to share in God's suffering or in Christ's suffering? Well, it means that just like Jesus suffered when he walked this earth, you and I suffer. And, And for the Romans who were the recipients of this letter from Paul, they knew all about suffering. They knew what it meant to be suffer, uh, to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the same ways that Jesus was you know, beat up, crucified, treated like a criminal, the Romans were too, because they simply said they followed Jesus. And so Paul is writing to some people who really understand suffering to a level that you and I can't even. In fact, uh, three years after Paul would write Romans, he would be in prison for his relationship with Jesus because he was preaching about his Savior. Seven years after Paul wrote Romans, there was a fire in Rome, and people started to blame Nero for this fire. And so Nero passed the guilt of this blame onto the Christians. The Christians hadn't done it. This is just straight up history. You can Google this later if you want. But he passed the blame of this fire onto the Christians. And there was a, a historian in the first and second century. His name was Tacitus. And in the early second century, Tacitus wrote about what Nero did to the Christians in Rome because of the blaming of this fire. And you guys can read along with me what he says. Look what he says. Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Now this next sentence, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is huge. So I'm going to read it and then we'll talk about it for a second. Christus, another name for Jesus Christ, who suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. Now let's just stop there for a second. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that sentence is huge. Because that sentence was written by a secular historian named Tacitus who didn't follow Jesus, was not a Christian. And you know what he just confirmed? That Jesus was put to death by a guy named Pilate during the reign of Tiberius. Guess what? That's exactly what that Bible out there in the lobby that you could take for free tonight if you want. That's exactly what the Bible says happened. And so here's secular history lining up with exactly what the Bible says. There's all these arguments out there that Jesus was never put on the cross, and there are different faiths that would say Jesus was never even crucified. Well, here's a secular source outside the Bible saying exactly who did it. That's exactly who the Bible says did it. It was under the hands of Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius. And so that's really important and really powerful history right there. But back to the point here, mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. So Nero is doing these terrible things to the Christians, literally turning them into the lanterns at night just to illuminate his city. And so the Romans understood all about suffering. And talk about some people who would have had a hard time keeping all this in context and seeing the big picture and zooming out a little bit. Paul understood 
suffering so much. Seven years after, like I said, they suffered, but 11 years after Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, he would actually be killed by Nero for his faith. And so Paul's really qualified to talk about suffering, and the Romans are really qualified to read some encouragement about suffering. And so the specific kind of suffering that these verses are talking about is suffering because of your faith in Jesus. But the amazing hope that we find in these verses applies to all kinds of suffering that we might be going through. So maybe you're a little beat up because some people have given you a hard time about being a follower of Jesus, but maybe you're just really tired because you've been, you've been sick for a really long time. Or your heart's just really hurting because of something you've gone through or someone that you've lost or financial stress or whatever your suffering might be. We've got to zoom out a little bit and Paul helps us do that in just a minute. But first, let's talk about what it means to share in God's glory. He says, hey, we're God's kids if we share in his suffering in order that we may share in his glory. You know what it means to share in his glory? It means that one day you and I are going to stand face to face with Jesus. And we talked about all this in the Heaven series just a few months ago. That one day you and I are going to have no more temptation in our lives, no more brokenness because of sin, no more sickness, no more pain, no more anxiety, no more fear, no more death, no more of any of that. And Paul says, hey, I want to encourage you that though, although you suffer, and to them he was writing because they were suffering because of persecution, but you and I suffer because of all different kinds of things here and now. You know what? You're going to share in God's glory. You're, you're going to, whatever Jesus has right now is going to be yours because you're a co-heir of Christ. And so when you stand and you see your Savior in heaven, the joy you'll experience, that's a part of that glory. And the peace you'll experience, that's a part of that glory. The healing, your body will feel no more pain. That's a part of that glory. And then Paul goes on and he says this in verse 18, this famous verse a lot of you guys I'm sure are familiar with. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What is Paul doing here? He's putting our suffering in context. He's saying, hey, I know that you are suffering and going through some terrible things, but I want you to know that what you're going through here and now is not even worth comparing to how great the glory you experience in heaven will be. And Paul's not trying to minimize your pain. Paul gets pain. Paul understands who he was writing to, and he knew the dangers to the people in Rome. So don't feel like Paul's just trying to brush you aside and say, ah, come on, you're not even suffering. Get over it. No, he's just trying to say that what you and I are going to experience in heaven is going to be so great that the things we feel here and now won't even compare. I mean, back to my manly fire for a minute, okay? So I have this nasty little thing under my fingernail, this little tiny piece of wood, and it's causing me a lot of pain. But like I said, it's really honestly not a big deal. And so I'm looking at it, and I pull the little thing out, no blood, didn't need a Band-Aid, no gauze, no emergency room visit, no stitches. But it hurt a lot at the moment. And then a few minutes later, I'm sitting on the couch with a roaring fire. Well, the roaring fire wasn't on the couch. I was on the couch, roaring fires in the fireplace. But there I am sitting there. That would have been more suffering. But there I am sitting there, and my family's all around me. We got blankets, and we're all cozy, and there's popcorn, and we're watching a movie. And you know what? It's like this winter never happened, you know? 
it's like thinking back on it, it's like that stupid tiny little thing that was causing me so much pain in the moment didn't compare with the fun and the joy and the enjoyment then on the couch. It wasn't worth comparing. In fact, if you told me that to get a nice roaring fire like that again, I'd have to get a splinter under my finger again, I would be fine with that. I'd go for it. Because it was so much better than that silly little thing that distracted me for a little while. Now again, I'm not trying to minimalize your pain or suffering. I'm just trying to say that when you and I zoom out and we let Paul help us put our suffering in context and we realize that what we're feeling right now and the pain we're feeling right now, when you and I see Jesus one day, it'll be like every ounce of it was worth it. In fact, it wasn't even comparable to the glory that we'll experience. And so the pain you're going through, which is a big deal here and now, it hurts. And it's all you can focus on sometimes. And it's real. The day is coming when you and I will see Jesus and we'll go, wow, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. I'm so glad I kept following Jesus. I'm so glad I kept my eyes on my Savior. I'm so glad I endured. I'm so glad I didn't give up. I'm so glad I hung on. And I'm so glad that he hung on to me. Because when we stand before God, as big a deal as our suffering and pain is here and now, it just won't compare to the glory, to the joy, the healing, the wholeness, the freedom, the life we have in him. Now we're going to read three verses together here. And these three verses are a little confusing. And I might jump back a little bit next week and explain one of them a little bit better. But for tonight, I'm just going to make this as clear as I can for you. So verses 19 to 21 says this. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. What do these three verses mean? Basically, the clearest way I can say it is this. All creation was broken by the fall. And Paul was using a writing technique called personification, and he was sort of giving creation of voice. And creation's voice here is this groaning, this longing for everything to be made right and be made whole. Then verse 22 says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And then he says this, not only so, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons the redemptions of our bodies. And so before Paul's talking about suffering because of persecution, but here Paul's kind of lumping everything in all creation together. He's kind of lumping everything in creation together saying, yeah, this world's broken and it hurts and it's hard sometimes. And we kind of groan. You know what I've experienced is that as we get a little older, the groans get a little longer, (laughs) you know, like when I was a kid, I was 16. I remember I was at my friend's house and I, I climbed a tree in his yard and I was hanging out in the tree and I fell out of the tree and it was about a 20 foot drop from the branch to the ground. And when I fell, I landed flat on my back. Like there was no like, you know, like roll. Like, you know how you think like if I ever fell, I would have the, the, the wherewithal to like roll and make one of those beautiful lands, like a stunt fall land. No, I just went flat on my back and my breath was like taken away and I stood up and about a minute later, I was playing volleyball with my friends because you can do that when you're 16. If that happened to me now, I'd be in a full body cast for like a year, 
you know? Like, you'd come and visit me. We would just call it the year of the groan. And you'd come see me in the hospital. You're like, Doug, how you feeling? I'd just be like, yeah. Like, it'd just be a groan. That's all I'd get out. I promise you, you know? And, and you know, the, the older we get, the, the longer we groan. That's actually my bottom line for tonight. So you guys want to write that down? <laughs> no, but that's, that's just the reality is that as we get older, as we, as we you know, experience life and pain, man, we groan and, and we groan in pain. But, but here's what I want you to see in this verse. We don't just groan because we're in pain. We groan because we're in anticipation. You guys know the difference? Sometimes you groan because something hurts. Sometimes you groan because you're just so excited about something. Like my kids are really good at groaning in anticipation. You know, when Star Wars was coming out, we bought tickets for Star Wars in November, and they groaned in anticipation for a month and a half, you know? And they were like so excited about it, and they would be counting down the days. They'd be like, Dad, 15 days, and I thought they were talking about Christmas. I'm like, no, guys, it's like 22 days. I'm sorry. Like, no, Star Wars, 15 days. They were so excited. They were groaning in anticipation, and that's what Paul's trying to help us do here and now is realize, yeah, we're in pain, and we suffer sometimes, but we got to get so excited about heaven that we groan in eager anticipation for the redemption of our bodies, that we groan and get excited about the day we'll see Jesus face to face. That helps us put our suffering and pain in context. That helps us zoom out a little bit. Then it says this in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to be so clear on something tonight, that you're not saved by being a good person. You're saved Because of this hope in a man named Jesus who died on a cross for you and for me. Our God who came to rescue us. In this hope, we are saved. You're saved by eagerly looking ahead to the redemption of your body and my body. It's that faith and that hope that we have in our God. And then we see this. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And so, yeah, we suffer here and now. And it's really hard sometimes. Sometimes all we do is groan. Sometimes all we do is is take another breath. And then we take another breath. And every breath is almost a little bit of a fight. But we wait patiently to be redeemed to be with our Savior, to see him face to face. And this is all from Paul, who suffered more than probably anyone in this room ever has and ever will. In fact, in A.D. 68, Nero would take Paul's life for being a follower of Jesus. And I can only imagine that Paul's last groan led him to being face-to-face with his Savior, which he wanted so badly, which he wrestled with. Do I wait? Do I go to be with Jesus? That was the big fight in Paul's heart. And now standing face-to-face, I can guarantee you that Paul knew every ounce of suffering he went through here and now was worth it. Every pain he endured, every persecution, every physical thing he felt just living in this broken world, he knew it was all worth it. And what I want you guys to see 
clearly here tonight the hope that you and I have, the long-term view that I want you to grab a hold of is that our current suffering doesn't compare to our future glory. That's what Paul's driving at here in these verses. And that's the hope that you and I have. Our current suffering doesn't compare to our future glory. And so, yeah, it's real and it's hard and it's difficult and it hurts and sometimes we groan, but there will be a day where it will all be worth it. And I know it's difficult, but when the splinter's under your finger, so to speak, we have to be able to zoom out a little bit and say, okay, I know this was real, and I know that this hurts a lot, but I also know that there's an expiration date on this. I also know that this isn't forever, that forever will be free and joy and love and life and healing and wholeness when I see my Savior face to face. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't ask God to help us sometimes and change situations and heal and provide and and put lives back together and hearts back together and bodies back together. We still ask God for all that, but we also know that in this world, we're always going to groan a little bit. There's always going to be things to to groan about. But the day will come when all groaning will be over, when you and I see our Savior. Now, some of you guys might be saying, Doug, I appreciate what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I like to zoom out and see the big picture as I suffer. But do you have anything for me here and now? Well, yeah, I do, but it's next week. Next week, we're going to look at two things that you and I can grab a hold of and that really grab a hold of us in the midst of our suffering. But for today, although you groan, although you suffer, will you just remember that our current suffering doesn't compare to our future glory? There's a famous preacher named named, uh, D.L. Moody, and he told a story about this lady that he knew that was a follower of Jesus that suffered physically for most of her life. And she lived sort of in this really broken down apartment in a really broken down apartment building in a, a really bad part of Chicago. And these two ladies were going to visit her. And one of the ladies would visit her all the time. And she knew how awesome this lady was. And she knew that this lady had so much joy even though she had suffered so much. And she knew that going to see this lady who was in so much pain was gonna actually be an encouragement to her. But this other lady that was going had never been before. And this other lady that was going with her was very rich and was used to a lot of just amenities and good in life and she hadn't gone through much. And so these two ladies are walking together into the apartment building and the rich lady says to the other lady, man, this is a terrible apartment. And, and the lady that she's going with says, it's better higher up. And so they go up a floor and, and they're taking the stairs. There was no elevator. They get up a floor and it's a little bit better, but still not nice, not what this lady's used to. And so they keep going and they're up like the third floor and the lady says to the other lady, I, I still can't believe this is still like, you know, just a really kind of nasty building. I feel really bad that this lady is suffering and having to live in this place. And the lady replies again, it's better higher up. And they keep on going up until they get to the fifth floor and they they walk into this lady's apartment. And here's this woman who suffered so much with this huge joy in her heart, radiating the room. And so this this other woman who's kind of well-to-do is kind of taken back a little bit, but she's looking around the apartment and she finally gets the guts to say to the lady, I'm so sorry for all your suffering, and I wish you didn't have to live here. And the lady in the bed answered back, it's better higher up. She knew that eternity was coming. She knew that 
although she was going through a lot and life was full of pain for her, that there'd be a day as she'd be with Jesus. And so when you're tempted to hang your head a little bit because of your suffering, I just encourage you to remember it's better higher up. Remember that our, our current suffering doesn't compare to our future glory. And God's not trying to make you feel bad because you're in pain or make you feel bad about feeling like you're, you're going through some hard things. He's not upset with you because maybe you've brought to him through tears the things you're going through. No, he loves you so much and he just wants you to zoom out a little bit tonight and get that perspective in your heart that it's better higher up, that there's an eternity to look forward to and that there is a hope that you and I don't have that thing yet. We aren't eternally saved from the presence of sin and the pain of life yet. But that day is coming. And so zoom out this week. See the big picture. Because suffering in context brings hope. Suffering in context changes everything. Suffering in context helps us realize it's not wasted. There is an expiration date to your suffering and pain. Some of us, it's here in this life. A certain thing we're wrestling with, it'll end. And we'll move on to a new season of life. Some of us, we may endure what we're going through for the rest of our lives, but there's still an expiration date to our pain. And so zoom out, see the big picture, and find the hope and joy that God has for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this hope is available to you tonight as well. And God wants you to be his. He desires that you be saved and that you know him and that you know the joy and the hope that he offers. And so if you want to put your trust in Jesus tonight, I encourage you to do that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I would just plead with you, if there's something you've been zoomed in on and you've lost all joy and hope because of it, it's time to take a step back, see your suffering and pain and context and find the hope and encouragement that God wants you to leave with here tonight. Because the truth is our current suffering doesn't compare to our future glory. Let's pray. So God, we are just giving you praise tonight, God, that you are so incredibly good to us. And the pain we feel tonight, though very real, God has been swallowed up, God, by your love and your power and your death on the cross and your resurrection and the life that you long to give us. And so we are so grateful to you, God, We're so thankful, Lord, that we get to look forward. God, even if the rest of our lives were to to be lives of pain, there's still an expiration date. And when we stand and see you face to face, God, we are so thankful, Lord, that every ounce of it will be worth it, that it just simply won't compare. The glory will so outweigh our suffering and pain. There's no contest. And so we thank you for that. I pray incredible encouragement for the person that's wrestling through this right now. And I pray you'll give them great hope. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to pray about that thing or those things that you've just been so zoomed in on that you've lost your hope and your joy in God. And I want to ask you to see the whole picture today. Even if you have to look as far ahead as eternity, see the whole picture today. See your suffering in the context of what Jesus has done for you and the, and the eternal life that's promised to you because of what your Savior's done. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, 
I'd encourage you to pray something like that, like this, just quietly with me now. Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. Thank you for rescuing me from my sin. Please forgive me, God, for all that I've done that's wrong. I thank you for your love for me. I pray that you'll help me see how real you are, that you'll give me this hope, this joy, this life in you. Thank you for your love, your forgiveness, and your grace. In your name I pray.